August 12, 2020. It's a lot from Pedro Show.
Why for Pedro Show. Happy Wednesday. Brother Matt, the love grotter on the pleasure point. Still in quarantine mode here, but I am not totally man alone. Because due to those uh, software cats in Estonia with their Skype invention, I got Tyler Nolan with, with me from uh, Highland Park here in Cali. Welcome aboard, Tyler. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. Yeah. Uh, I should tell people what we heard, huh? <laughs> uh, of course, John Coltrane. You know, I start every show with John Coltrane. Back in May, it was 19 years. And... Uh, Every Watt for Pedro show. In fact, last show with Crane, back on Saturday, was the 700th show. And they're all archived at TWFPS.com. But I always start with John Coltrane. And what we did here was when he was with uh, Thelonious Monk. Very important nine months for him in between shifts with Miles Davis. Because this is when he quits his shit, right? Just holes up in his pad on 33rd Street up in Philly and... Cold turkey. No more fucking junk. Uh, yeah, he wrote a little piece about it later called Love Supreme. So for thank you. This was called Epistrophe, and it was a short version. Then we had a cat's uh, Tyler plays with Baz with Chartreuse Blues. Tyler, <laughs> uh, please, what's your earliest musical recollection? Um, oh, fuck, you're all loud now. <laughs> I sorry. knew it. It um, happens I'll, every I'll, fucking I'll, I'll time. Temper it. Um, <laughs> you know, I guess my earliest musical recollection, um, music was certainly a, a huge part of my household growing up. My mom was very into music. Um, I remember the first show that I went to was actually... Um, no, I, I'm talking mom, about. I'm talking about before that. Like, what's the earliest like memory of music in your brain? I guess it was. It was a uh, probably a lot of traditional Irish music um, that was playing constantly in my my household. Record, um, like records are real in real time. No records, records. Okay. Um, you know, like the chieftains and 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 stuff <laughs> beyond that. You know that that from an early age was something that you know was. That that all that will always stick with me. I guess as far as like getting into popular music and stuff, it was more of like um, a lot of Led Zeppelin, actually. So so there's <laughs> ethnic uh, Irish music and Led Zeppelin. Uh, where was this? I grew up in a town called Chico in Northern California. Oh, I know where it is, college town. In fact, yeah, on California ninety nine. Well, in the old days, it was probably a farm town because my pop grew up in a town not far from there called Red Bluff. Oh yeah, I know Red Bluff well. We uh, would play them. Um, I was I was on the basketball team and we would you know they were a rival of ours now both these towns are like sacramento river towns yeah exactly because red bluff i think came from like the mule i mean people first time i saw a big fucking ship going up the sacto river man like you're in the middle of right sacramento yeah valley. Well, it's like that whole it's like the north the north valley essentially it's you know red bluff and Chico and Redding and Oroville, Paradise, which is obviously was decimated by the fire. Yeah, totally. um, 
There's you know, also... that was basically our, our you know, th- that's the that's whole area. That was our, our conference, if you will. Okay, this, there's a song that Creedence Clearwater Revival did called Lodi. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lodi, yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. Now, it should be pronounced Lodi if you lived in Italy. and it was, There was a famous Napoleonic battle there, but we know it for the song. And the song is about, like, every dude in the band knows <laughs> about kind of a bummer, right? Um, yeah <laughs> but but easy chords. I mean, I think so so in i'm the sorry pa- go ahead the pad you grew up in tyler was there instruments there weren't instruments um my mom was very much into music um i got introduced to playing music uh my uncle was a musician and he he got me into playing guitar he bought me my first guitar and that was probably when i was uh i, I guess maybe 15 now did you ask for it um, I, I did visiting him. He would always have, you know, there, he had instruments. I would spend most of my summers at his house and, um, he had instruments everywhere. And so I, you know, would pick up his guitars and, and then, yeah, just took, took to it and, what, and asked him, you know, he asked me what I wanted for my birthday and I said a guitar and that was it. Was this Chico too? No, this, he lived in at the time, uh, Livermore, California okay. in the and East that, Bay. Yeah. People on your way to the city or to the East Bay first. Actually, it's kind of a famous place for a couple reasons because the Livermore factories is where all the plutonium buttons for the nuclear warheads are made. Right, the, li- the Livermore <laughs> Labs, yeah. Livermore but also, labs. there's a place on the road going through called Ultimate Pass and there's a famous yep. uh, Rolling Stone kick that was a disaster there. And so- That's right. And the weather's a little bit different because what I wanted to tell people was if you're in the Sacto Valley in the summertime, it's sweaty, man. It is brutally hot. It is. <laughs> I mean, it would, you know, for it to be weeks, weeks on end in the hundreds, it yeah. was not uncommon. And then it's kind of cold in the winter. It's it, for California. For, for California, it does. It's it, the winters are 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 very uh, rainy, um, and it, and it stays fairly cold. You know, I think we get a snow, and we're you know we're in the valley. We're not really. We're like kind of nestled. Chico's sure. nestled in the foothills of the Sierras, but right, um, right. for the most part, the city's in the valley. And you know, we would get snow once every four or five years, maybe. You know who lived there for a little while was Brother Steve McKay, the sax man for the Stooges. Also, uh, I think Michael Davis from the base on the MC5. Lived. They, you, they lived in Chico for little bits. Oh wow! During I didn't their know lives, that. you know those they're Michigan guys, you know. But yeah, I yeah, think Michael totally. Davis might even ended up there. Anyway, uh, you said the guitar you got at fifteen, but before that, what about in school? Did you do music in, in grade school or high, high middle? You know, not too much. Uh, in fourth grade, I had a teacher that you know I went to public school. Everybody in Chico went to public school because it's a, it's a smaller town. Um, I had a fourth grade teacher that we would have music class um, once a week, and it was primarily um, just percussion instruments. But um, as far as like anything else, it wasn't really a part of the curriculum. He he did that just because he wanted to. But you, no no choir, no marching band, shit like that. <clears throat> Nothing like that. No. Okay. What, what what about the first record you bought with your own money for yourself? Wow, um, that actually was probably the first. Uh, that's a, that's a, that's a tough one. I would on the say Watford, would on the Watford Pedro be... show, there are no hard questions and there are no wrong answers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I'm in the right place. Um, <laughs> I think that it was actually um, uh, Eric B. and Rakim's Paid in Full. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Great album. I used to yeah. roll up. Roll up. <laughs> nothing funny, nothing move but the money. You know, uh, the, the, the one after that's really good, too. It's called Follow the Leader. and then it. Comes oh, yeah. Out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I, mean, I, I had all the records. Um, I still do, actually. And, wh- and what uh, was now. the first gig that you saw? The first gig that I saw was a date that my mom went on. 
Um, and it was, um, it was at the fairgrounds and it was survivor. Oh, the eye of the eye tiger, of the tiger. <laughs> which is like the, the Rocky soundtrack or something. No, right. And that was like, you know, I, it, it didn't really leave a mark on me. I remember them playing eye of the tiger and thinking that was really cool. Cause I loved the movie, but beyond that, I wasn't really that interested. <laughs> I just wanted to like get, get ice cream, you know? Right. Actually he had the first rock. He had another hit. It was more like horns and shit. <laughs> I'm feeling strong now, <laughs> but then, uh, yeah, they quite, made quite a franchise out of that. So, okay, your uncle gets your guitar. What about lessons? I took some lessons at the beginning, and they were at the guitar shop where we purchased. He purchased the guitar, and it was definitely by kind of like a Hesher, you know, metalhead guitar ripper um <laughs> at the time i wasn't you know I, I i really wanted to be in guitar i really wanted to learn guitar but i i you know i wasn't super interested in the way you know right away he like handed me a bunch of charts with like this is the circle of fifths and you know all this stuff and <laughs> and i just i i wasn't really interested in that yeah um the, the one thing he told me that i that kind of sticks with me though is like there was a huge poster of Jimi Hendrix behind oh, him when he would okay. teach. And so he, and he told me the first thing he said, he was like, you know, on a scale of one to a hundred, Jimi Hendrix is a hundred. <laughs> and then he said, the next guy is probably like 78. <laughs> and I was just like, okay, wow. He's, he's really good. You know, and of course at that time I obviously knew Hendrix at that point and, loved him but um I, th I thought that was interesting that he he was he, he was so he was such a metalhead but like hendrix was his guy that's great that's great because jimmy yeah. especially for electric guitar a lot of people borrow <laughs> a yeah lot of people so borrow. after after that i mean i took maybe a few lessons with him and, and picked up enough that i felt like you know just like you know like basic kind of like pentato pentatonic scales or blues scales and then and then i and then i stopped um going I, I stopped the classes and then just kind of learned on my own and, you know, pick up books and just listen to music and just learn that way. Okay. I want to play some more vast.
from Pedro's show, uh, we heard Vaz do an elastic seat. Then a few Midnight Awakening, brand new stuff coming out. Uh, Lego Velt, this is a brand new. Uh, I think it was a uh, dude went to a school in Switzerland and just started playing around with the music toys. Uh, after that, Wild Rats, Hollow, that's uh, I got to record with Ron Ashton for a movie called Velvet Goldmine, the soundtrack with Thurston and Steve Shelley. Uh, Mark Armstrong, yeah, there, uh, and Don, Don Fleming was involved too. Uh, Macrotones with Blood Hands. After that, Tobacco. Mr. Tom's got a brand new record, Stand By Night, out of Pittsburgh. Damon Smith on uh, solo stand-up bass and certain foliage. <laughs> That's a title. And then uh, I'm going to find you which is television with uh, Dick Hell on bass, 1974. And fi uh, finally, the fee is brand new. Grand Canyon. What's it called? Joyful Noise, that label? Somewhere in the Midwest, maybe? Uh, what about the thing, Tyler, where you're after sc school in the bedroom or the garage or basement man? Wait, what's that? You know, where... It's not organized. It's like you and your buddies after school in the basement or garage or bedroom mm -hmm. van. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, for me, you know, it was uh, I played in a band in high school that, um, you know, we played at, at the drummers. The drummers parents were kind enough to, like, let us use their guest room as like a practice space. Um, and, you know, we were we were we were really bad, of course. Um, well, this is your then, first, this is your first band, right? First band, so, yeah, in high school. See, you got to start uh, somewhere, though, right? It's like skateboard. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I mean, at the time, it was you know, I, I was I was overjoyed to do it. Um, we were guys, all. Did you write your own? Did you write your own songs, or did you guys uh, try to copy songs off records or stuff? We we pretty much. I, I definitely wasn't the primary songwriter. I joined the band. Okay, they had been a band for a little bit. Um, it was mostly originals. Um, I right. think I don't think we really did any covers, but we. I'm sure we certainly blatantly ripped off a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you like just taking a riff and changing one note or something like that to make it our own. Yeah, like what Vanilla Ice did to that Queen song, Dave Bowie song. Right, exactly. Yeah, but, but, just yeah, just one like it's like that. I think with that song, it's not even like they didn't even change the note. It was just like an accent or something. <laughs> but you know what's funny? I don't know if you've ever seen like him give the explanation. No, no, they're completely different. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, <laughs> they now, certainly the, are not. The thing we didn't get to see is him getting hung out the window by his ankles by Shug, right? Right. I've, I've, you know, everybody. Yeah, knows that story or if you pay attention to <laughs> that kind of stuff. Scary. So did yeah. this band have a name? Yeah, we were called um, the Funkin' Wagnalls <laughs> after the, you know, the dictionary. Oh, not not the R&B band. Okay. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> look, look, did you guys only practice or did you do gigs? We did a couple gigs. Um, what, one, was, what was the one first gig. one? Yeah, what was the first one like? The first one was terrifying because it was on the um, quad of our school. 
So, you know, we played like a school gig um, and people were definitely pretty uninterested. Um, basically, everybody was just eating their lunch and we were playing. Um, <laughs> the second gig was like at a at a kind of a house party, but, you know, a, a very tame high school version of a house party, like before kids were like drinking or getting rowdy. It was like, yeah. you know, people, people eating, drinking juice and swimming in the pool. I think in um, Pedro, the band was short lived. I, 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 um, they actually, I got kicked out of the band. Whoa. Why? And, uh, honestly, at that time, the rest of the band, they were much better players than I was. And, um, they had basically gotten me in the band. I was, I was a little bit older than they were. So they, they basically asked me to be in the band, um, so I could get them more gigs at like the cool parties. And, um, and I didn't do that. <laughs> so after, after, after a while, they realized it's like, wow, this guy's not getting us the cool gigs at the party. So what's the point? Um, oh, man. and that was that. <laughs> did, did, you, did you ever get to record with him? No, no, we definitely didn't record. Um, I don't really know what happened to those guys. I mean, the guitar player was this kid, his name was Andy Potter and he was, he was a ge- like a like not only a, a guitar genius, but just a genius in general. You know, he got like probably like a four point five GPA, like <laughs> and it was and it was effortless. You know, and I think he he picked up the guitar and like basically mastered it in six months. Jesus. You know, it was just a shredder, and um, I definitely was not. So <laughs> um, I, I think that you know they went they went on as a band until they. And I don't think they really played any other gigs or did anything else other than, you know, play in that practice room um, until they, you know, graduated and all went off to Ivy League schools. Well, what about you after high school? So after high school, for me, I went to college um, briefly in Santa Barbara. um, And I really didn't enjoy enjoy it at all. It wasn't necessarily the, the college part of it. That part I actually enjoyed, but just... For me at that time, I don't think Santa Barbara was the right place for me. Um, a lot of the music, you know, like, uh, I, I mean, I don't know if you know much about that area, but like if you if you go to school in Santa Barbara and you're a graduate student or an undergrad, rather, you, you live in this area called Isla Vista. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for me coming from Chico and at that point I'd started to, you know, I'd already started to get into like music that, you know, I would be into like that I'm still into now. And, and at the time it was just the, I, I don't know, for me, like the, there was a big frat culture and this kind of like surf skate, you know, like epitaph records, keg fans, all this stuff. And it just wasn't for me. Yeah. And there was uh, also a kind of new wave alternative thing, like toad, the wet sprocket and uh, some kind of Joe. Yeah. And it was just like that, that, that stuff was never my, my, my stuff. So, so and it just, I just couldn't really find a, you know, I think I found one kid that was into unwound and we like would jam around in, in a living room, just like bass and guitar. And that was really fun, but I just didn't really like the culture of, of where I was living. And so I ended up moving back to Chico and that's kind of when for me, things got really, um, real my friends some friends of mine had opened up a nonprofit theater in chico and um uh, they were doing shows as well like to you know to supplement um grants or whatever 
in order to stay open, they would do, you know, DIY all ages shows. And so that's kind of when I got my first taste of like kind of, you know, seeing live bands all the time that were more off, you know, under underground or, or um, for lack of a better word, or just, you know, different than what I'd really been exposed to. Yeah. And that kind of just changed everything for me. And then I, I stayed on, I stayed in Chico for a few years and then I started booking shows. We should say, week. we should say, cause you mentioned unwound. We lost the bass man. Yeah, I know. Vern passed. And that's, yeah. that it's, it was really, really, that was a really tough one for me because it's gonna happen. I, I certainly wouldn't play the way I played if it wasn't yeah, for right. Unwound and and not just like the guitar they, part. They of were it, there from Port- even his the bass. Like I would, I would you know play his bass lines on guitar and just try to figure them out. They were somewhere northwest, right, Portland or Olympia. Or I, I think they were there. I think they were from like a much smaller town originally um, in Washington, but like the, the yeah Olympia is I think where their kind of yeah, okay. home base was. Yeah, Wipers were Portland. I get mixed up. Look, we're at the end of the first hour. Okay. August 12, 2020 edition Watt for Peter Show. Special guest Tyler Nolan. Hold tight for hour two. August 12, 2020. It's the second hour of the Watt for Pedro Show.
哦。
bila nikakva Više sila, već samo dosadna Svemirska matematika Aritmetika, statistika, procenti Veliki brojevi, ljubav je dosadna Konvekcija, a ne unikatni krojevi I nismo deo velikog plana Sve je samo slobodna volja Naš susret nije bila nikakva Više sila, već samo obična i jeftina preprodukcija Glupi Hollywood, filmski promašaj Budžet potrošena dva, tri pića I glavna glumica izvan uloge Svakim delom svoga pića I nismo deo velikog plana Sve je samo slobodna volja Naš susret nije bila nikakva Više sila Možda bi još uvek verla u čuda
Watch for Pedro Show. We start off the second hour with Vaz doing They've Won. Then we had Chrome. He's got Helios. He's got some uh, health stuff right now. He's working through. Uh, looking for your door. Well, the other cat, yeah, he's gone a long time now. Uh, De- Devin Gavin Ross after that. That's Gary Panner. Came up with Jimbo, if you know the old Slash Zine uh, comic. The other side, Nemi Pesnik from uh, Slovenia with uh, Matematica. Cal Porto is... No, they're from Slovenia. These other guys. Anyway, former Yugo, maybe that's safe to say because he can cover a lot of ground. 505. And finally, uh, Swenson Klein out of Canada with a past in miniature. So tell me, uh, uh, you started putting on shows and stuff, but what's the connect with Vaz? So I didn't meet the Vaz. I mean, I was. So Vaz, the two main guys in Vaz, Jeff and Paul, they were in a band in the 90s called Hammerhead that were on um, Amphetamine Reptile Records. And um, I was a fan of Hammerhead. I didn't actually meet them until I moved to New York um, later on. And, um, you know, at that point. Oh, you mean like you're, you're booking shows in Chico and then you decide to move to New York? There were there were a few stops on the way. Okay, I, okay. I, after I left Chico, I moved to Oakland for a bit. And then I moved to Los Angeles for a couple of years. And then I moved back to San Francisco to finish school. And then after that, I moved to New York. And okay. then I lived in New York for uh, 12 years. And that's where you met these cats. That's where I met them. And, um, you know, they, I just got put in, you know, they, they had primarily been a duo for their, for most of their run. Um, and I think they were just, you know, wanting to expand and, you know, they, they've been, they've, Jeff and Paul have been in bands together since they were in high school. And so, you know, they've been playing music together for, I mean, I guess it's almost 30 years at this point. Whoa. And um, and so I think they were, you know, they were just looking for a new dynamic. And they had had other guitar. They were based in Minneapolis for a long time. And then they lived in L.A. for a little bit. And then I think they went back to Minneapolis. And then they had another guitar player join the band, Adam Marks. And he was in the band for a bit. Then they moved to New York and had another guitar player, um, Ryan Hamilton, and then, and then, a friend of mine, Ryan, left the band, and then a friend of mine joined the band. But then he he was just he had like five bands going at the time and just <laughs> didn't have time to do it. But he knew that they really wanted another guitar player, so he asked me. So I really didn't know those guys until I like walked in to practice with them for the first time. And you're like the fifth guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, but we, you know, we, we hit it off and, and it, we had a good time and then it was decided I would join the band and then I, you know, played in the band for about five or six years. And uh, the Chartreuse Blues was the first thing you recorded with him? That's right. The Chartreuse Blues was the, the first recording we did. And that was, you know, that was recorded um, by our friend Ben Greenberg in like a really dingy basement just to tape and it sounds real raw and kind of shitty, <laughs> but, um, it was the first recording. And then the next one was visiting hours. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they weren't really into bass guitars, huh? They, well, it's interesting that cause Paul, who is the other guitar player slash, I mean, I, I wouldn't say he's a bass player, but he was the bass player in hammerhead. And so, 
when Jeff and Paul decided to do Vaz, you know, it's like he had to he had to figure out a way to to cover more ground being, you know, just one one guy playing a stringed instrument. And, I, you know, I think it's more typical for it to be like a bass and drum duo. So he he decided he figured out a way like he started Frankensteining his own guitars, um, all like Telecasters for the most part. And he strings them, you know, I guess somewhat like a baritone, but heavier on the low end and higher on the oh, high yeah. end. There, there's a guy in the city, Charlie Hunter. I think he has mm-hmm. bass strings on the top of his guitar. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, also, you said there's no, no, not many bass drum duos, but there's one in the city too called Ohm, right? Oh, uh, Ohm, yeah. No, I was saying there's actually more. I would say it's more common for there to be a bass and drum duo oh, than I'm, a guitar drum duo. You got all muffled there. Oh, uh, sorry. Um, so yeah, there's like Ohm <laughs> and, and bands like you know Godhead Silent. There's a lot of I feel like bass and drums ah, duos. Okay. Because um, when I think guitar, up, uh, guitar drum, it kind of started with uh, flat duo jets, then White Stripe and Slater Kinney. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Black Key. So, but Paul, I mean, there is low end. I mean, Paul basically his he has two bass strings on his guitar, and he's somehow in some weird way figured out how to like wire his guitars. So you know, one pickup just picks up the bass strings, and one pickup just picks up the guitar strings, and he splits them. So you know, two of the Two of the strings are bass strings going through an SVT, and then the other four are guitar strings. Yeah, because I do hear some kind of low end. I do hear some kind of low end. That's how he did that. Here, here, I want to play some more bass. Okay.
It has come to me that my dignity and my darkest insecurities have met like two birds faced off on some power line pissed tired and unwilling to turn back and nothing hurts like the quiet and there's no healing like moonlight I am accustomed to this battle every night and long ago my mother taught me about the crucial act of simply showing up and though I'll fail I'll try my best to replicate her unrelenting love and the time it throttles forward and human folly pushes back like a box of fool of nothing left to lose and the battlefield's never ending until the judges call the fight I am accustomed to this battle every night I am accustomed to this battle every night
tasting the dawn with the hungers of night as they wait for the right time to touch in the gloom of the clutch of the rain on the city. Fog in my mind keeps on fogging my mind.
je dnes člověku 20. A chce se mu hnusem zvracet. Je toho vyplít ještě více. Jen ten, komu je šedesát. A může jít se sklerózou klidně spát. The guy who has rheumatism. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, I don't wish that on anybody. Fuck that. Me neither. <laughs> and then Will Johnson, brand new, with a bloody boxer. Peter Lochner from the old Cleveland scene with Rain on the City. Wharton Tears out of New York. Recorded a lot of old uh, Sonic Youth and Glenn Branca. What's that, the girls? What's that girl Glenn Branca had? Something girls? I can't remember. But uh, it's the Wharton Tears Ensemble with Terminal Dumpster Juice. And then finally, Plastic People Universe, uh, Vasset. And that they were a check band in the 60s. Theoretical girls, that's what those guys were called. Okay, so, uh, yeah, yes, because I thought that was, yeah, maybe he was overdubbing a bass, but he's actually got some... Uh, heavy strings going at the same times as he's working that thing. Now, in, yeah. that, in that band, what they do, they play you the tunes and ask you to come up with something, or did they write you your parts? No, they would just play the tunes. And then, you know, when I first joined the band, obviously, they, they I was just playing songs that were already written, but I would come up with my own parts. And then um, when we started writing for the records, it was completely collaborative. Um you know, usually Paul uh, would come in with like a riff and then I would just find, you know, my my place in that riff and then we would just build from there. Now, you probably toured with him, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, did a bunch of touring with him. And what was that like What for you? What kind of experience was that? Because, you, you know, you earlier you were booking gigs. What's mm-hmm. it like to be part of the, you know, the other end of that? <laughs> um, you know, for me, I asked you that, Tyler, because... I wish more dudes who book gigs come from being in the van doing the gigs so they could relate to the experience, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I definitely there was some of that. I mean, for me, honestly, it was just I was just so overjoyed to do it. You know, I, I loved touring. It was never, um, you know, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, like a lot and a lot of people that tour know, like some people like it, some people don't. Yep. And even people that like it, you know, there's a there's a point where maybe it's dragging a bit and you just want to go home. And for me, I just never really felt that I was just super excited to be out on the road and, and playing shows when it comes to like being, you know, um, I tell you, Tyler, the Minutemen shared that man, me and D Boone, we really loved it, man. We thought we, wow. Vacations. People pay money for this shit. <laughs> yeah, no, that's kind of how I felt. It was like, you know, like the, to me, it's like, that's all I wanted to do. Um, and, you know, I think with Jeff and Paul, they, they really loved it too. But they had also been doing it for much longer than I had. So maybe there was times where they would get a little bit like, uh. Yeah. Um, well, uh, but, but for the most part, they were they were also very happy to be on the road as well. well. I, I, wanted I, to I was ask just like you. the young kid, like, like yeah, let's do it, you know. Well, it's better than the older kid that's supposed to be getting you get good gigs at the parties. Yeah. <laughs> I think the funny thing, though, is, is with, like, the booking thing is it kind of worked almost in the other way. I mean, most of the booking I had done at that time was like, you know, independent, all ages, DIY type shows. So like, you know, the bands were getting basically, you know, they're getting the whole door after, cause it was just like a, a, a nonprofit space. Yeah. So we would give the bands all the money after like 60 bucks for the, for the PA and the, you know, the person doing sound for yeah, 30 overhead, bucks. Yeah. Um, so we didn't take any of the door. We, we would just take money from, um, selling beers out of the cooler. Um, but so for me, it was like, you would think that maybe on the road, I would be more of like a hard ass towards, um, the promoters. But I, I, for me, I was actually, it was the opposite. It was kind of like, you know, maybe, maybe Paul or Jeff being like, fuck these guys. And me having to be like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, this is what they're going through. I like wish they, people knew that, you know, yeah. sometimes they treat the promoters like an enemy. Promoters got to be running a scene. They got to keep that scene going the other 364 days of that year. Exactly. And yeah. see, you know, yeah, I, I, I can totally relate to what you're talking about. And, and, I, and the way I think it's really easy for bands. Yeah. To, and, and a lot of it is, is, you know, merited, I think, because there are a lot of venues. Of course. And there's where, assholes, where everybody. Treated. But if he's really, like, but but Tyler, if he's really an asshole, you work for him once. <laughs> exactly. You know, my attitude has always been whether it's booking shows or, or being on the road is it's like you know when you when you go into a venue, the idea is we're all in this together, right? Like we're absolutely. You know, you guys are providing an environment and a and a vibe, and we're providing you know music, and we should all be looking out for each other and doing the same uh, thing. Absolutely. And and. and you know, hoping that at the end of the night we can know each other's names and maybe keep in touch and come back. It doesn't always work that way. No, you know, no, but, but man, I like the, that. I like that philosophy, Tyler. Look, we're at the end of the second hour, August okay. 12, 2020 edition. Wap Peter Show special guest, Tyler Nolan. Hold tight for hour three. August 12, 2020. It's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro Show.
up for Pedro Show. Start off the third hour with uh, Vaz doing armbow. <laughs> I love that title. <laughs> then we had Crane because of you. Mason Space, the banding head with Dirt, Charlie F. Uh, before that, John Rocknowski. Vacation, the tragic comedy of Jam Number no. 5. Kaleidoscope featured late great Richard Derrick. Cla- uh, another umbrella. Sproton Layer. I think that's Roger M- Miller when he was younger. Uh, up when he lived in uh, Ann Arbor, maybe. And then finally, uh, Mutator from Vaz. So, so what ends up happening with Vaz? So basically, um, you know, we, we were active. I mean, Vaz, we basically all moved away from New York. And just, I, I moved to Los Angeles um, after 12 years of being in New York and doing that and, and loving every second of it. But it just felt like it was time for a move. And and I had, I had been working at a venue called uh, Zebulon. And um, we closed just due to base, basic, like, gentrification and... Um, um, noise complaints. So one of my partners moved out to Los Angeles and then ended up finding a space and kind of <clears throat> called me and just asked if I wanted to be involved. And, and I, I did. So I think at that time, like, you know, New York was growing a little old for me and Jeff and Paul as well. And I ended up moving to Los Angeles to start the Zebulon Los Angeles and so, Jeff and Paul moved back to Minneapolis. And you're telling me, um, uh, so did Vass fall apart or they still got it going? No, uh, you know, they, I think they still keep it going a little bit. They're certainly not as active as they used to be, but you know, they still will play the odd show. We ended up playing a show at Zebulon Los Angeles. Um, they came out and flew out and we just, you know, kind of had a little, a gig we never really called it it was never it was never like uh, oh this isn't working and the band's over i mean that would be, really be up to them because it's their thing but it was just more of like okay let's you know we we just went our separate ways and we still are in touch and you know those guys i uh, love those guys and we talk and i think there's still maybe even plans to you know do some recording down the line now you're talking about zebulon in new mm-hmm. york city and then zebulon here in socal Mm-hmm. We're talking venues. Now, I got to tell mm-hmm. the listeners, I got to connect with you through Derek Gaines, and it's about this situation with the COVID-19 in our venue situation. Mm-hmm. So you want to say something about that? Well, you know, it's it's obviously this, this situation, this pandemic is is, is awful for, for everybody in, in, a, in a variety of ways. Um, you know, I can't, you know, people are getting evicted. People are unemployed um you know there's a lot of people suffering people aren't able to you know go to go go to class and get a free meal and and and, you know there's there's so many layers to it i i can really only directly speak to to the venue side of it um from a personal standpoint because that's what i'm involved in and yeah you know we've been closed i think our last show was march 15th and um we've been closed ever since and you know, I think a lot of venues, especially venues that are independent and of a smaller or medium size, um, you know, it's it's hard to operate in the black in general. So when something like this happens, you know, it's 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 devastating for us. And you know, we're we haven't locked the doors yet. We're you know we're still hopeful, um, but you know we're still paying rent. We're still paying paying sales tax. We're still paying insurance, and we have no revenue coming in whatsoever. 
And um, I think, you know, there's now, you know, um, there's the uh, National Independent Venue Association that's working with certain senators that are trying to pass legislation, um, one of which is the Save Our Stages Act, which would basically be, you know, grants to venues um, to operate for the next six months or to rather be able to pay overhead for the next six months because no one's going to be operating probably before then. Um, and then there's the restart act, which is like more of kind of like just general, like loan tax forgiveness, um, tax credits and, and stuff like this and extra benefits for employee employees that are, you know, laid off. And I think the bigger picture for us is like, you know, as we were talking, I don't know if we were on air or off air, but when we were talking about, you know, kind of like we're all in it together. I think it's the same thing when it comes to venues. It's like right now it's looking like there's a healthy percentage, I mean, of venues that are not going to make it through this. And so, you know, that if every venue that closes, it, it affects the venue next door. It affects the touring structure. It affects, you know, if, if half, I mean, right now they're saying that up to 90% of venues might not make it through this. If, um, even if it, even if, even if half the venues don't make it through this, I mean, what does that look like for the touring network that's been, you know, set up over, you know, it's like a band coming from Australia that has to buy a $1,500 ticket to do a tour. They need to play, you know, 20 to 30 days at least to make it worth it. And now maybe they're only going to have, be able to play, you know, like, 10 or 15 shows with really long drives. You know, the drives are really long already. So, yeah, you know, I don't know if you've ever toured, toured in Australia, but <laughs> I have. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's five big towns. I want, I want yeah. to play last bit of music for this edition.
ない間延びした街に不滅の記録とレクイエムを
from Pedro Show. Last music for this edition. Yeah, that's uh, Vaz doing uh, White World De of Death. And then we had uh, Ned Colette from Australia. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because sometimes I mix them up with New Zealand and I don't mean any disrespect. <laughs> and, uh, Ned Colette with the Wire Walker doing Bird. And then uh, the, chef, the Chef Cooks Me from Tokyo within the town. Or to wait, I couldn't get the right translation <laughs> because it was all in hiragana and there was no kanjis. And then Sernag uh, Zuba, Black Tooth in Serbian. Uh, this is Brother Koya, an incredible bass man. But he played guitar for this movie soundtrack. And this is the fourth part from Funk y Lastis. And finally, Bomas Prendent with French Passport. These DC guys in the early 80s just making experimental music. Uh, uh, people... I'm really into what Tyler's talking about, about this stuff with the venue and uh, the COVID-19 and somehow we got to make through. Uh, is there the, a w website for this group you were talking about? What are they called? Uh, it's called NIVA. So it's uh, N-I-V-A, National Independent Venue Associ Association. And um, yeah, there is a website. I believe it's just um, NIVA.com. Um, but well, you can just Google it and you'll find it. Well, not just that, but what can people do? They can talk to their uh, Congress people. Yeah, I mean, anything, you know, the, the main bill, the um, Save Our Stages, is, is supported by, you know, uh, Amy uh, Klobuchar, who's a Democratic um, senator out of Minneapolis, and then John Cornyn, who's a Republican senator out of Texas. And um, they introduced the bill. You can just, yeah, you can go, if you go to the NEVA website, there's going to be um, a lot of information on, on, on being able, like, just how, how to support small venues, how to support independent venues of any size. Um, so that that would be a good starting point if anybody is interested in doing that. Because, you know, if you go back, man, there was this kind of jive shit where you had to play covers. There wasn't venues that supported right. original music. Yeah. Okay, we're not talking about that kind of lame jive thing. We're talking about a thing where the people let, in fact, encourage people to let the freak flag fly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think even beyond that, you know, it's like, you know, obviously being able to, you know, in a, in a time like this, it's it's important to have perspective with, you know, like it's, you know, it's a privilege to be able to go and participate and, and, and do this at venues with everything going on. But there's also a bigger picture, you know, it's like um, venues are in a lot of ways, if, you know, if I were to debate somebody with about it, you know, they're also economic generators. Um, they... Also, are just like a place for people to meet and 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 exchange ideas. Yeah, well, develop, I was going to say develop culture. And, I was going to and, say and, culture propagators. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, it's they're they're cures for you know they're important for mental health. Like I mean, for so many things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, man, it's big honor to have you on the show. 
Hey, I really appreciate it, Mike. Thank it, you very it much. It means a lot. And everybody, Tyler put out there, you know, we're not, we're not trying to propaganda or brainwash anybody, but just putting it out there. You hear all this wild music, 19 years on the Watt for Pedro show. These are from bands. Some dudes, yeah, everybody's got some time in the bedroom, but a lot of dudes go out there and work the towns. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Thanks again for being on the show. Big love. Uh, Thank but, you very much, Mike. Okay, people, it's been the August 12, 2020 edition of Watt Pedro show. Keep your powder dry.